0: And I think it's important to continue to check in. I know each week we have weekly team check-ins and we say, okay, how has everyone been doing? How, do you feel you've been meaningfully contributing to the business? Does anyone have feedback for the team? How has our culture been? So not only those early conversations, but continuing to check in every week and every month to make sure everyone's still on the same page. Cause as you grow, different priorities will shift and people's roles might change, but just making sure you always have that space to keep everyone accountable and to share how they're feeling.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Denton's. We are the largest law firm in the world with offices in more than 200 locations across 80 countries available to support you everywhere you do business. We are a law firm that embraces change and can help you grow, protect, operate and finance your organization, which is why Denton's is organized to offer more than just legal insight. We're here to help you find business solutions in a seamless fashion across the globe. Hi, everyone. My name is Heather Barnhouse, partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast, where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today, I'm joined by Nadia Ladic, founder of Marlowe. Welcome, Nadia. It's great to have you with us. Thanks so much for having me can you just set the stage a little bit for our listeners and give us a little bit of background about yourself and about your journey so far founding Marlowe? Sure, so
0: my name is Nadia. I'm one of the co-founders of Marlowe. I started actually in music. So growing up, my whole journey was in music, was in a number of choirs, participated in musical theater, and went on to study music in my first two years of university. So actually wanted to be a music teacher and was really involved in that space. Then went to apply to the Ivy Business School at Western. It's a two plus two program. So it allows you to do your first two years in something, some program, and then transition to the business program. So ended up getting accepted into that and completed the Ivy Business School program where I met my co-founders and started getting really drawn into entrepreneurship because I thought it was a great path to combine the creativity and kind of the passion you see in music with some of the financial analytics and decision-making skills you gain in business school. So ended up in entrepreneurship. We founded it actually in our fourth year of university, and it was an incredible journey so far. We've now been working on it for about two years.
1: That's really interesting. You don't often hear many people who sort of start out in a in a very you know maybe a performing arts or in a in a very artistic as opposed to just liberal arts, um, and then going on to kind of founding some some business business related matters. I have worked it previously with some very creative, like artsy folks more, more in the, the painting and stuff. And, and they're like, we make terrible business people because we just haven't <laughs> had the, the training in, in a, you know, in a truly arts scenario previously, but they're very good at obviously at their craft and very good at uh, understanding like that product and, and what their audiences want to hear. But they, you know, most of them acknowledge upfront that they don't have that that business background so it's it's interesting that, that that program allowed you to really move from that and then that you've been able to find the synergies or the the compatibilities between the the you know what might not be traditionally uh viewed as being so so compatible and did your do your co-founders also were they also in the in the music stream or were did they have um before they joined you at the business school did they have something different from from what you did they actually did
0: different programs, so that's okay. one of the greatest parts about our team. We have a very diverse team. Uh, two of them studied economics prior to doing the IV program and one did uh, management and business. So she kind of did management business pre-business before going into the Ivy business program. So a lot of different
1: experiences
0: before before founding Marlow.
1: Interesting. And what would you say I want to focus a little bit on sort of the founder journey and, and the fact that you've been working with um... With some other co-founders on this project. Uh, many entrepreneurs do that. They they start out in a team. Sometimes that team morphs over time. And others, of course, just start as, as solopreneurs and, and intend to sort of work that way. It sounds like your group met at school and you sort of uh you know came together and found founded this and then have been working together. Did did all of all of you as a group know that this was the product, this was the company, this was the team, or did it, was it a bit more of an accidental uh journey that was? we anyway.
0: I think it was more of an accidental journey. We, um, During our fourth year, we're doing an entrepreneurship capstone project. And we had been friends since first year of university. But this was kind of our big group project that we did in fourth year together. And I remember our professors were telling us that we had to find a problem that we were passionate about solving. Mm -hmm. And that was when we started having a conversation, started thinking about different problems we were having. And one of my co-founders shared that she has a lot of pain and discomfort when inserting a tampon. Hmm. And she's a very active individual. She was actually a competitive swimmer. And she felt that not being able to use tampons was really limiting her growing up and even in her current life um, and not being able to participate in that active lifestyle. And she had found that many of her friends and her team members were also experiencing similar things. And so she had gone to the gynecologist to try to find a solution, and the gynecologist told her to spit on her tampon to make it easier to insert. And I remember just hearing Medical that cool advice that it's
1: finest. <laughs>
0: I know. Um, and I remember hearing that story and just thinking there must be some better way to solve this, and that's what kind of inspired us to pick that as our capstone problem to solve. We tested a bunch of different ideas before coming to the idea of creating the lubricated tampon, and it was kind of throughout that journey of working on that school project seeing like why does this not exist seeing all the other problems that are in the menstrual health space such as the overly feminine branding or you know the marketing that's always the woman playing tennis the space is not inclusive there's just so many things we've grown to be passionate about solving that after we graduated we were really passionate about taking this full time and, and going at, at it
1: and seeing what could happen That's a, that's a very interesting uh, way to approach a, a problem, right? Like you're asking mm-hmm. to find a problem to solve. And then you, like many entrepreneurs, you find the problem that resonates with you because it's something that you've experienced in your life, or this is a barrier or there's, you know, there's an issue and, and you think, well, why isn't there a better way? Or why isn't there a, a solution to this? And, and then you do some research and you find, well, actually there isn't. And so it creates the opportunity to to really kind of move forward um, with that. Well, that's a that's that's fascinating. That's that's very interesting. Um so tell me a little bit more. So about the about working with with co-founders. Um you guys worked together, you had very di- diverse backgrounds, which which ha- is is helpful. What how has it been? Has it has it been how has it been to navigate the landscape of working with co-founders like how did you decide about who was going to have certain responsibilities what hats people were going to wear has that shifted over time um do you like working with co-founders do you think it would be different if you were a solo printer can you give me some insight into into that process or that that part of the journey
0: For sure. Yeah, I think being able to do it as a school project was a nice little test run to see how Mm. we work together. And through that, we knew, okay, we actually all have really incredible strengths and they were almost natural that we had different strengths. One of my co founders is really good at brand building and creative direction. Um, She had a lot of experience in photography. So she naturally was drawn to more of those marketing aspects of the of the brand and the team. Um, I was in management consulting for a bit as so I had more of that strategy experience. One of my co founders worked um, at the Ottawa BIA, where she worked with over 370 small businesses. So she had more of that community building aspect. And one worked in financial management. So she had more that finance aspect. And so we kind of of all had our natural strengths and we had a lot of conversations early on um, to make sure that this was the right fit for all of us. We had a lot of conversations such as what does success look like? Um, how committed are you to the growth of the business? What do you what? Yeah, what Yeah, do you see yourself doing in the next couple of years as we continue to grow Marlowe? So I think we were really intentional about how we defined our team, how we defined our roles and responsibilities. We made a racy chart of who's going to be accountable to each thing, who needs to be informed on each aspect. Um, and so I think having some of those early conversations at the beginning really helped us. And it also helped us that we were all friends before. So we naturally had a really strong team culture. We felt comfortable to be able to push back if we had feedback in a, in a constructive manner, um, and also to share what we were doing on weekends and have that work-life balance. So I think the fact that we had those early conversations plus the fact that we were friends and had that strong team culture already really helped us. And I could not imagine doing it solo. I think the reason we've been able to grow so quickly in such a short amount of time is because we have so many people working
1: on it who are dedicated about making this a success. I also imagine uh, and maybe I'm completely wrong, but I imagine that the fact that you went to the same business school and sort of had the same foundational learnings in in things that maybe you didn't, you know, sort of intuitively know sort of level set for everybody in terms of like this is maybe a standard way of We should make a a racy chart. We should, you know, Mm -hmm. go down these things. And this is a way of sort of managing the expectations of of the team. You had the ability to, to, to everybody be speaking the same language. Whereas I think often what happens is Uh, entrepreneurs who've maybe been out in the world for a little while, they think, hey, I need to pull in this expert, this subject matter expert to help me with this. But but they just parachute in and they don't have that same Mm -hmm. common ground that maybe the rest of the founders do. And that that can be fine. That that can serve a purpose as well. But in, in terms of the management of the expectations amongst the founders, I think it can be difficult if everybody doesn't start from that same sort of level playing field. And of course, as I'm sure you're well aware in the world of entrepreneurship, things either take like 17 times longer than you expect they will or <laughs> things move much quicker and so you're always trying to play catch up or you're trying to uh you know race to catch up or you're trying to slow people down and one of the things that I think often gets lost in that shuffle is the relationship management among the the founders and so when you've when you've started from the same you know the same Place uh, and you your expectations are okay. This is how we're going to make decisions. This is who's going to have that responsibility. Here's who needs to be informed. You can just hit the ground running as opposed to trying to retrofit that into this like cobbled together kind of uh, uh, solution that that often people find themselves in. So that's uh, that's interesting. I suspect that if you were a group of friends who maybe weren't all from the same program or you weren't working on this in in a in a little bit of an artificial, in a capstone type of way, it might have had a bit of a different feel to it in terms of how it got started. And then it might, you know, it might not have been exactly the same. I work often with entrepreneurs who who come to me after a few few years, basically wanting a corporate divorce from some of their founders <laughs> yes. because they've never taken those steps at the beginning to to manage those expectations. And it can be the longer, it's like the elephant in the room. Like the longer mm-hmm. that those conversations go unsaid, then the more difficult it is to really level set and, and and be kind of on the same page.
0: And I think it's important to continue to check in. I know each week we have weekly team check-ins and we say, okay, how has everyone been doing? How, do you feel you've been meaningfully contributing to the business? Does anyone have feedback for the team? How has our culture been? So not only those early conversations, but continuing to check in every week and every month to make sure everyone's still on the same page. Because as you grow, different priorities will shift and people's roles might change, but just making sure you always have that space to keep everyone accountable and to share how they're feeling.
1: Yeah, that's, I think that's really important. And I think, I think that that also then gives you the space to say like, this isn't working. So -hmm. let's try something new and then, you know, have that, that mindset of, of, uh, sort of checking in and making sure that, uh, that you're on a path so that you just don't, keep doing something that clearly isn't working for, for whatever reason. And, and maybe unintentionally, like maybe the others don't know that that is a struggle that, you know, that one or more people are, are facing. So that's, uh, that's great. I think that's great advice for entrepreneurs is to really keep that space, set that expectation and then hold, hold everybody on the team accountable so that you can adjust as necessary um, in, in the future. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Speaking of sort of navigating, we talked a little bit about how it's been to navigate with with some co-founders. I want to uh, talk about so the industry that you're in, you have had to you would have had to and probably continue to have to navigate a regulatory process for the product and the you know the the industry that you're in. Can you tell me a little bit about that? i I work with a lot of entrepreneurs who are in not necessarily this regulated process, but working with regulators and and understanding what that means. And I'm curious to know how that's been just sort of, you know, for for you. And if there are any lessons that you've learned in the process of like, only talk to a regulator on a Tuesday or like whatever the case (laughs) is, um, that has made it possible for you to kind of move through that process and what you expect it might be like uh, as you continue to grow. Definitely. So
0: before starting Marlowe, we didn't actually even realize how regulated these products are. Um, We learned that they're class two medical devices, which sound kind of scary, but essentially it's the same as a rubber glove or a condom. um, So not actually as scary as you might think, but because they are regulated, (laughs) um, we did have to go through testing. And so because it's a new product, it's first to market. There's no other lubricated tampon out there. We had to go through a number of tests to make sure that the product is safe to use, um, that there's no irritation when it's being used that they're safe to use together. And so we had partnered with a research lab to conduct those tests and make sure that The product was safe. Um, We tried to kind of navigate through the regulatory process ourselves at first, reading through jargon, reading through all this complex language and policies, and we quickly learned that that is not the best way to do it. And so I think that would be a good learning for everyone is just understanding what your strengths and weaknesses are. And one of our advantages as a startup is that you're able to move quickly and you're able to progress through these hurdles quickly. So if you can outsource to someone, and we partnered with a regulatory consultant who's an expert in this space, and that. Allowed us to move through the process so much quicker than if we were having to navigate it on our own. So I think not being able, not being afraid to ask for help and and bringing in those experts when needed, Um, and then through that we were able to successfully get our Health Canada and FDA approvals. It was an eight-month-long process, which was felt quite long. And on top of it, it was during COVID when they were heavily backlogged with obviously covid relief and all the things happening with vaccine rollouts Um, so i think that was an added challenge of navigating everything else that was happening with covid things that were supposed to take three weeks to get reviewed were taking two three months to get reviewed so i think also just understanding like you said that things can take 17 times longer than you might think and having that built into your roadmap that even though you might think it get it'll get reviewed in two weeks be prepared for it to take double as long and you know that might push out your launch that might push out your financials so just making sure that you have that buffer and that contingency and especially when you're working with external parties that things might not go according to plan
1: Yeah. Almost nothing goes according to plan. (laughs) Sometimes that's good. And sometimes, sometimes that's, that's not, but I like the, the idea of, of working with a, an expert, with a consultant, with a subject matter expert in whatever that regulatory process is. And I think that the entrepreneurs that I've worked with that have had some success have partnered with, or paired up with a consultant for at least a portion of the process. And then number one, you know, they know that they've got their back the, in terms of the actual substantive um, application, but they can also just offload it from their mental. Reserve in mm-hmm. terms of I know that this piece this isn't the best use of my time because this is not what I'm an expert in and I have a hundred other balls in the air and so I can offload that one and know that it's it's moving forward. A- also, I think that the regulatory bodies, depending on who they are, um, prefer to work with the subject matter experts because they, if there are questions or there's deficiencies, they sort of speak the same language in a way that mm-hmm. might expedite overcoming some of the. know some of the barriers or some of the deficiencies that that they might note. So that probably actually does make it a a bit more efficient in in the long run, uh, even though it does, of course, seem like it takes extraordinarily long. You have successfully been through the FDA and the Health Canada uh, uh, approval. So what if you decided you wanted to expand more internationally than, than just North America? Would you then need, can you piggyback any of the regulatory approvals that you have here to go like if you want to go to the UK or Australia or something or are you starting from scratch with a whole new process and is that it, it does that factor in i'm sure it does does that factor into your growth plans for what jurisdictions you want to move to next
0: Yeah, so each country and jurisdiction has slightly different regulations. Um, So the UK is actually one that we're looking at quite closely because we want to expand there. It seems to be a bit less regulated um, than some of Health Canada and FDA's regulations, so we were surprised to learn that. Um, But because we already have the tests, that was kind of the main thing that the paperwork is a bit different in each country, but the tests that we've done are pretty much standardized across the board. So the results from those tests and the according licenses that we are receiving can kind of be used, and it's just different paperwork essentially in each country and maybe a different way of framing the application. Um, So the regulatory consultant helps with that a lot as well to say, okay, here's the slight thing that, you know, the UK regulators wanna see as opposed to FDA, as opposed to Health Canada. Um, We learned that Health Canada is one of the most stringent ones. So we were really happy to get through that. Um, And that's, we do have really big global ambitions. A lot of our co-founders were born outside of Canada and are really excited about the opportunity to expand internationally. So that's something we're looking at quite closely as well.
1: That's interesting. I, I have heard that too, that uh, the bar in in sort of in the pharmaceutical area, if you can get Health Canada, you're probably pretty good to be able to piggyback on you know some other some other countries because the testing requirements are are onerous enough that uh, you're probably okay if you uh, if you <laughs> want to go to to other countries, which seems sort of counterintuitive in many ways, but uh, is is nice for those companies that are starting in Canada and have gone through that that process. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've talked about the regulatory process and, and the receptivity of the regulators in terms of the, the testing and and being able to get through that process, albeit uh, while the world was coping with, with COVID and, you know, those regulators being quite consumed with some important things like COVID and vaccine <laughs> relief and stuff what What has the market reception been to the product? So once it's been available uh, and I'm sure you've spent some time and effort on marketing and branding, what's the what's the perception in the market about the product? We've been really
0: excited about the reception. So um, we've been taking a community driven approach to everything that we're doing with our marketing and branding. We don't believe that this is just a product. We believe that we're sparking an overall movement around menstrual and sexual health. Um, Growing up, you know, it's such a stigmatized topic. You would hide tampons in your sleeve as you ran to the bathroom or (laughs) you'd be scared to check out these products. And so we're really trying to spark conversation and open up all these conversations to say you shouldn't feel that it's so stigmatized. You should feel comfortable. We're trying to create a safe space for people to ask questions about their body and to kind of explore their menstrual and sexual health. And so I think that's really contributed to the rapid growth of our community. We have over 35,000 menstruators in our community now. Um, It's been going viral on TikTok, which is really exciting. Um, And I think the biggest thing is just the impact that the product is creating. We get tons of messages from our community saying that, you know, I've never been able to use tampons before. Either they have extreme dryness or some people have medical conditions such as vaginism or some people just found it uncomfortable. And now they said they're finally able to use tampons. They're going to the beach, they're going swimming. They're not feeling held back by their period. And so I think that was kind of the most exciting part is seeing that people are actually feeling empowered to take on these activities and not feeling like they have to put their
1: life on pause because they don't have products that work for them. Interesting. That's, uh, I mean, that that's great. That's what uh, every company wants. First, you know, first of all, that that positive uh, community empowerment and and the uh, community approach and the, you know, the discussion about it and changing the conversation. But, you know, in this day and age that we live in, everybody wants to be viral on TikTok. Tell me how that came about.
0: <laughs> One of my co-founders um, has been leading that charge and we actually just onboarded a full-time content creator to help us because I think about 70% of our sales have been coming through TikTok, which is wild. We'd never imagine that Um, I think especially for our Gen Z audience that we're targeting it's a platform where they're spending so much time it's the fastest growing platform right now and it's such an honest and authentic platform people will just post whatever and what whenever whatever they're thinking Um, they're just completely transparent and sharing about these topics that are like pretty much stigmatized Um, one of our videos went really viral just kind of sharing why we created the product and our own struggles growing up with tampons and so I think people really resonate with the mission and the why behind what we're building. Um, And we also just post educational content. We'll do like Mythbuster series or addressing common FAQs and questions. So I think people really like kind of the surprising and shocking facts that they can learn on our page as well.
1: Yeah, I feel like I I hear um I have a a few clients who have their products or their services have gone viral on TikTok as well. And I think the common theme there is that it's refreshing for the audience to be able to mm-hmm. engage in a way that like maybe we maybe this topic has been taboo before and we haven't had the opportunity to talk about it, but it's refreshing to go into a platform that's kind of fun and kind of, you know, like there's lots of things that you can pick out. You, you don't have to stay on one thing for too long, but you can really connect in a way that isn't really socially accepted maybe on some of the uh, previous generation of, uh, you know, ways that we've consumed content, right? Mm-hmm, definitely tell me thus far, we've talked about a lot of things, regulatory co-founders, you know, school, all kinds of things. Tell me what the most challenging aspect has been. We haven't really touched on fundraising, um, but has that been a challenge for you? I
0: think at first fundraising was a challenge. It was our first time going through the process. And, um, you know, it's a rather stigmatized topic. A lot of people who we were pitching to don't really need the product themselves. Um, So we were pitching to a lot of male investors. And so I think, At first, getting people to understand that this is even a problem was quite a challenge. People had never even seen tampons. They said, could you show us what a tampon looks like, which is kind (laughs) of surprising and funny. But as we started to go through the pitches and we would find analogies to describe the product, we'd say, okay, imagine putting in a contact without solution. How uncomfortable would that be? Or or trying to find ways that maybe people who don't experience the problem could picture it and sharing testimonials, sharing data. We had conducted a survey and learned that 86% of menstruators some kind of tampon insertion pain or discomfort. So finding ways to kind of quantify the problem as well, that really helped us to go through the fundraising process. And actually um, a lot of our investors are are men or people who don't menstruate. So that was good that we were able to kind of convince them. A lot of them would go to menstruators in their lives, describe this brand, describe the product, say, Hey, have you ever experienced this? And they would say, yes, of course, this is a huge problem. And then they would come back to us and say, okay, we get it now. We we want to talk. So um, we were ending up successful in, in raising our round. We raised half million dollars
1: in our pre-seed round oh interesting um it's that's a very interesting approach right because many many people like they if they have a physical product they'll take it out and you can touch it feel it people or like if it's food you can taste it or whatever but what you really had to do especially for the you know the male investors was you know, tell them the people in their life who experienced the problem and how it might help them and ask them to go and verify that with with Mm -hmm. them. So that product market fit is like one step removed in some ways from the people who ultimately ended up writing the check and and coming in as investors.
0: Mm -hmm. And definitely in the COVID world too, like we would hopefully have been able in person to show the product, show how it works, but over video, it's harder to show, okay, this is how (laughs) the product works. And can you see it over in the blurry camera? So I think that was an added challenge of everyone was navigating through, you know, doing pitches online and pitch, doing video pitches, doing pitch competitions. And so I think the storytelling became even more important when they can't physically touch the product, like
1: you're saying. Yeah, for sure, and we hear that over and over again that there's so so much power in a in a well-told story, and that's what resonates with people. And finding the story that, and it's not always the same story, but finding the story that will resonate with someone is the magic and what leads them to to really sort of understand what what it is. And so, kudos to you for for you know navigating that on Zoom, navigating that with <laughs> primarily male investors, um, and you know getting getting a successful pre-seed round uh, closed. Do you think you're going to be on that fund right? Raising bandwagon again soon, or what's the growth um, prospect from a fundraising perspective?
0: Yes, we're actually about to kickstart another fundraising round soon. So um, we fundraised about a year and a half ago, and now we're looking to raise more. Now that we've kind of brought the product to market, at the time when we raised our first pre-seed round, the primary use of funds was around initial inventory orders, going through the regulatory process, getting those initial approvals, bringing the product to market. Now the product's actually on the market. We're getting incredible product feedback, building that community, and we've tested these different marketing strategies. We know what's working. Um, We've been partnering with micro-influencers, expanding our campus ambassador program across Canada and the US and so we're ready to raise another round to invest in some of those marketing strategies to invest in our team growth and to also invest in future product development we don't just want to be a one product company we have ideas of how we want to continue to push the standards and push what's been created already and take people off of autopilot to say there should be more innovation in this space and so
1: using some of our
0: funds to for some future product development that we have in the works as well.
1: Wow, that's, uh, there's lots in the pipe for for you. <laughs> Look, looking back thus thus far, I realize like we're early on in the journey, which is exciting. But what would you say the most challenging aspect has been um, for you? And, uh, you know, like COVID has, has certainly not made it any easier. But for the next entrepreneur that comes along, what would you say the most challenging aspect has been for the Marlowe team?
0: I think besides the regulatory things that we kind of already talked about, I'd say one thing would be just navigating through the ambiguity of entrepreneurship. You know, we had previously done internships and we spent a year um, in other jobs. And in those jobs, you have managers, you have mentors, you have so many people who you can look up to, to ask advice and who are giving you direction of this is what is expected. Please get it done by this day. Whereas in entrepreneurship, you are accountable to every single decision that you're making. You're setting the work back plan. um, You're setting your own internal deadlines for yourself. And so I think that was sometimes a challenge of how do we navigate through this ambiguity? There's no playbook of do this and this and this. Every company is completely different. There's people who we have in our network, who we can turn to, who we can ask for advice, but it's ultimately up to us how we want to build this company. And so I think, although a challenge was also one of the most exciting parts is getting to build something that's completely (laughs) yours. It's our baby. We love everything about it. And the kind of learning opportunities that we've had so early on in our career is unimaginable. The kinds of people we've gotten to meet who are working on their businesses has been unimaginable. So I think the ambiguity is definitely worth it because the amount of learning you get, and if you make a mistake, the um, not ability to navigate through a pivot and to change and learn from the failures has also been so incredible as well.
1: Mm -hmm. And that builds a lot of, a lot of skills, a lot of personal skills, but a lot of skills that are transferable into other ventures, other ideas like resilience and all of those things. I think those, you know, you get an opportunity to flex those muscles really early. You might not love it at the moment that you're flexing those muscles, but (laughs) it certainly builds a lot of character and a lot of, uh, opportunity for the future. Did you, did, was your team able just maybe, maybe by accident, maybe deliberately to connect with any mentors who have helped with some of that isolation and that, uh, you know, it's lonely to be an entrepreneur because every every entrepreneur is sort of on their own journey and there is no playbook as you've said did you have the benefit of any of any amazing mentors to help you along thus far
0: definitely we've had so many incredible mentors um, we uh, completed the next 36 accelerator yep. um, we also completed league of innovators and sheboot out of invest ottawa um, yep. we're closely connected with Startup Canada as well. So we've been able to grow within the startup ecosystem and tap into mentors and advisors from all of these different accelerators. Our university um, at Western and Ivy have been super helpful in connecting us with people as well. We've been connected to people who are experts in retail, experts in marketing, fundraising, um, even people who are medical professionals who are gynecologists or pelvic physiotherapists. So I think without them, we wouldn't be where we are today. They've definitely helped us navigate through so much of this process. And so we're very thankful for all the learning we've gotten through completing those accelerators, I would definitely recommend um, any entrepreneur to go through at least one of those types of programs, because not only is it the people you meet during the program and the other founders and the mentors, but also even the alumni network of a lot of these accelerators are so powerful. And similar to your university alumni network, you can connect with them and say, hey, I saw you built this and you were an alumni of the program. Would you mind jumping on a 15 minute call so we can get advice about marketing or whatever it is? So I think in addition to the benefit you get within the program, there's tons of benefit after the program as well.
1: Well, where can our listeners find out more about Marlowe?
0: So we're available online for sale at wearemarlow.com where our community is is very digitally focused. So you can check out our blog on our website called The Marlow Down, Mm -hmm. um, or on TikTok at wearemarlow or on Instagram at Marlow. Feel free to connect with any of the founders as well. We always love speaking to our community and make it a habit to speak to them every single week to see if there's any feedback, if there's any new topics you wanna see on the blog. So um, besides our kind of company and brand accounts, definitely reach out to some of the founders as well. Well, perfect. Thank
1: you so much for taking time to chat with me today. Thank you so much for having me.